All right, everybody. Can, it, can everybody hear me? All right. We're going to get this show on the road. Welcome, everybody. It's great. Nice turnout. I appreciate it. I'm sure our speaker appreciates it, too. Um, I know Rita appreciates it. So thank you for coming. And uh, feel free to enjoy your meals while we're proceeding with our meeting. But uh, first of all, I got to give the invocation. All right. You don't have to stand, just bow your heads. Thank you for this day, Heavenly Father, and allowing us the freedom to gather in peace. Please help us to keep our minds open to what we will hear at this meeting. Help us to listen and learn. Then give us the strength to share our conservative beliefs with others. We pray that our country will soon turn away from the evil and the corruption that has consumed Washington, D.C. That faith and family will be restored as the solid foundation of this great nation. That those who want to subvert, pervert, abuse, and mutilate our children are exposed and punished. We pray that America will once again become a beacon of light for the rest of the world. Finally, please see us safely home after we leave. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. to the flag. Mm -hmm. Sorry, you're going to have to stand. Cindy Rodebaugh would. Thank you. You're wonderful. I love you. Okay. Moving on. Cindy has once again volunteered to be fill the vacancy of our secretary. Um, Diane Petrus, our treasurer, are you ready to give a report? Thank you, Diane. Okay. Moving on. Our next uh, presenter is Diane Igizabel, our membership chair. No, I. Oops. I meant Deborah Igizabel. <laughs> it's been a long day, okay? So, you. 
Grab the microphone, Deborah. We just spent $500 on these microphones. <laughs> and we're going to use them. Hello. We got 53 members as of today and 25 associates. And starting in about a week or so, you'll be getting letters for new membership for 2024. And we're going to beat that record in 2024 because we need your help. And we need all the support and everything that we need in order to get the Republican president that we want in office. All right. Don't go anywhere, Deborah, because you're also next. Oh, also in the back, I've got um, quarterly letters back there, and I have membership forms in case you want to pick any of that up today. And I'm ready to take money anytime. So, you know, anytime you're ready, I'm here. And don't forget to remind them. Any members or new members that pay their dues by the Christmas party are going to be eligible for a really nice door prize drawing. A car? No, ma'am, it's not a car. Yeah, and then also, um, if you the dues are still $40. We did not do any inflation. So it's still $40, but if you want to add on to that, we're more than welcome since this is a campaign year. We would truly appreciate it. Okay. Deborah E. is also our chair of the nominations committee. So she is going to announce our slate of officers for 2024. We had our meeting, and there was Kelly Holub with me and also Connie Sacco, Sacco, and we called quite a few people before we finally got our slate, and they were very anxious. And one person, I'll be saying who's on the slate, and I want them to introduce themselves and to um, give a little biopsy of biopsy. <laughs> <laughs> biography. <laughs> A little bit of my accent. So the president that's on the slate is Cindy um, Wingle. The vice president is Rita Durnell. The secretary um, for a year will be, hopefully maybe longer, will be Cindy Rodebob. And the treasurer is Diane Fentress. So Diane and Rita are serving their last year in term, and Cindy and Cindy are both um, new in this position. Thank you. Hello, everyone. My name is Cindy Wingo. Wingo like bingo, but with the W. That's a good way to remember it. Um, I, when I, I just moved to Schulenburg last March, and uh, the first thing I did was find my people, looked up for a Republican Women's Club, and um, so I told, I came from the Katie Club in Katie, and um, I told them that this year I was going to be an associate so I, and a full member here so that maybe I could start participating on the board and in leadership. Kind of thought I'd be the secretary or something. <laughs> um, but anyway, uh, I've been asked to be the service of president, and uh, I have done this before. I've been real involved in federated clubs and also it, it with on the county level for many years, 
Uh, I've served in membership, I've served in newsletter, I've served, served as the trainer, I've served as precinct chair trainer. Um, in 2018 and 19, I did serve as the Katie president. So I, I have done it before. So I, I hope that this will be successful. I look forward to meeting all of you and working with all of you. Thank you. Thank you, Cindy. And thank you for taking this away from me. <laughs> so, Diane, do you want to say a little bit about yourself? My name is Diane Petrosh. Uh, my family is from, uh, my husband's family is from the Shiner Molten area. No relation that we can find out over here, but we're still looking. Um, we're originally from Beaumont, Houston area. Um, I'm still working. I'm an accountant, a uh, plant controller at a chemical plant in Beaumont, Texas. So I'm doing, uh, I'm working on the treasure ship here. I'm excited. I have been a member two years tonight. So I'm excited. It was right here in Steeland when I joined. So I'm excited about it. I know. <laughs> they found out I'm an accountant. They said, you're going you're to be a treasurer. So nice to meet everybody. Enjoy seeing you again. Thank you, Diane. Cindy, since I'm sitting right here. I apologize, I'm not going to get up because getting up and down is too hard. Um, I've been around forever. Who does not know me? I mean, okay. I, I've served every position on the board and was not especially looking forward to being on the board again, but I can write notes. And I can keep track of Deborah for a while. I don't know about Cindy, we'll see. Anyway, if you have any questions, ask me. Thank you, Cindy. And of course, we know our illustrious VP program chair, Miss Rita, but we're going to let her tell a little bit about herself. I'm Rita Durnell. This is my husband, Ken. You haven't seen him in a while. But we buried two parents quite recently, so we've been busy. But anyway, um, we've been here about 13 years and have tried to be involved in the county's issues and have fought some issues and won some issues fortunately but anyway um we're very disappointed about the hospital by the way we feel like there was a plan forward but we don't know what happened there um but anyway <clears throat> excuse me um i um am originally from bay city uh texas and i'm from a fighting texas aggie family and let's not talk football but that's about all i have to say <laughs> Thank you, Rita. Okay, Ms. Patsy Parker is our literacy chair, and I know she has a little information about our dictionary project. We hand out dictionaries to all the third graders, and this is more than a dictionary. It covers every subject in, in school. Yes, political, it has a constitution, it has math tables, it has punctuation, it has the longest word in the English language, which is fun. It has a biography of every president. It's a great book. And thank you for donating it. This week, I, uh, it was a last minute thing. I, did, I couldn't even ask anybody to help me. 
Round Top said, come the next morning at 8 o'clock and hand out the dictionaries. So 16 children have gotten theirs. And I'm currently making appointments for the rest, but I kind of have a part-time job right now. So when I, when I get them, I will call the people who have wanted to help. Thank you. Thank you, Patsy. Good job. Um, where are we? Ah, Miss Barbara Apelt. Uh, she and I just got back last Saturday from four days in Irving attending the TFRW uh, biennial convention, which was a lot of fun, very interesting, some terrific speakers, good information. It was, in my opinion, well worth um, our time and efforts to attend. So Barbara, come up and she's got a little information about our club awards that were presented during the convention. I'm going to start with our awards at the national federation level. Uh, we won the award, a gold achievement award, and uh, that is next to diamond. We missed it by a few points and that's the highest you can get. And the award is for demonstrating excellence in achievement and accomplishment in membership development, campaign activities, programs, community relations, and state functions. And this is our group. We got this certificate with a little pendant here. So that's at the national level. We want it also at the state level. This achievement award covers uh, club development in membership, programs, campaign activities, and community engagement. That was our second award. And then we were, uh, and then we, we were uh, acknowledged as having uh, one of the top political calls by club and also by ours. And this is at state level. So you all work really hard. You don't realize it. And at the state level, this equates to like $100 million. All of the clubs in Texas that the uh, candidates do not have to do and spend money on. We're doing it for them by having forums, getting signs. So we contribute a lot. And then uh, for our quarterly uh, report on campaign hours. Our winner this quarter is Miss. I don't know how I do I'm sorry, Miss Atwood. Carmel Atwood. She has the most hours this night. When you said that, I thought it was a joke. No, no. And we don't have anybody. There's no winner for the hours. I didn't get a turn in for that. Uh, I did, but the person had already won it, and the caveat is you can only win one prize a year. Thank you all for all that you do. Thank you, Barbara. Okay, next I'm going to call up Kimberly Rutledge, who is our legislative chair. Come on down. 
I'm Kimberly Rutledge. Okay, this is our third special session of the 88th Legislature. It began on Monday, October 9th. Uh, Governor Abbott has officially called this session to include school choice, border security, ending COVID-19 vaccine mandates, and public safety regarding Colony Ridge. So while the Texas Senate got down to business and pushed out legislation, the House began the special session by taking three days off. <laughs> so it should be noted that this special session is addressing issues that were killed in the Texas House. So we have H.R. 16 calling on the House of Representatives to extend a formal apology to Paxton for its political weaponization of the impeachment process. The House General Investigating Committee failed to provide House members with adequate time to evaluate the information it presented to the members, causing Paxton to be suspended from office and other nastiness related to politics. Then we had SB1. These are all state issues. These are state to begin with, and I've got federal coming at the end. Uh, SB1 is about school choice. It's passed. Let me back up. The Texas Senate has done their job. These things are now being heard by the House if they can get a hearing. Okay, SB1 is school choice. It passed by a vote of 18 to 13. And did you notice that scorecard refers to public schools as government schools? Because I know a lot of you follow scorecard and they call it government schools. Which I think, yes, language. Language, language. Anyway. So, uh, according to the Texas Bond Review Board, Texas has the third highest local debt per capita among the nation's top 10 most populous states behind New York and California. Texas has the school debt problem. So, SB4 increases the penalties for human smuggling and operating a stash house. This was assigned to the House State Affairs. SB 11 creates a criminal penalty for improper entry from a foreign nation and passed in a vote of 19 to 12 with all Democrats voting against the measure. And this was also assigned to state House State Affairs. SB 7 bans employer vaccine mandates and passed in another party line vote of 19 to 12. However, Baylor College of Medicine recently required COVID-19 shots of all students, faculty, and staff, so it's a little late. Uh, a state law passed earlier this year which forbade the state and local governments from issuing a variety of pandemic-era mandates, including the COVID-19 VAX requirements. It notably did not address private businesses or universities, so the governor's special session call gives lawmakers the opportunity to close that loophole. Again, this was assigned to the House State Affairs. SB 2 provides a $10,000 raise for rural teachers and a $3,000 raise for urban teachers. Now, there are four GOP state reps uh, who have created a plan that they say will address cartel activity in the Colony Ridge housing development in Liberty County located northeast of, of Houston. 
Part of the plan is to consider expanding the special session call to include legislation to place Liberty County under a state conservatorship, if facts warrant it. The lawmakers say by establishing a conservatorship, the state could coordinate law enforcement operations and county restrictions to clean up and clean out Colony Ridge. There are more Colony Ridges around the state. Winchester has one. So right in Fayette County, we have a problem with the way the Hispanics now are buying property. And we know, because we live in Winchester, that there are trailers out there and they have extension cords giving them electric power from one trailer to the next. And we have no idea how they handle plumbing, septic, none of that, because there's, it's unincorporated. So there's nothing that makes them do anything. And so we have a brewing situation in Winchester. We've known about it since we moved out there. We find it incredible that something like this can just crop up in your community. Nobody wants to talk about it. The fire department has a big issue with it because you know it's a fire safety issue with the extension cord providing electricity. So it's in Fayette County as well. Okay, uh, how state affairs heard SB4, SB7, SB11 on Monday, this past Monday. Each bill was left pending. So they met today, so hopefully these bills might be considered for a committee vote. Today they will also hear HB4, the, the border security bill, and they will also hear, be invited, uh, they will also hear invited testimony on Colony Bridge. So, there's more. Uh, House Appropriations will hear the HB 6 next Monday for the construction, operation, and maintenance of border barrier infrastructure. On the federal level, we have House Resolution 3413. This legislation increases scrutiny of foreign investment in agricultural businesses. This bill formally placing the United States Department of Agriculture Secretary as a member of the Committee on Foreign Investment in the United States. The Agricultural Security Risk Review Act ensures that the Committee on Foreign Investment in the U.S. is operating effectively and efficiently to determine if a transaction, including agricultural, threatens to impair the national security of the United States. As you may recall, Senator Cocourse uh, filed similar legislation. However, the Texas House would not give it a hearing. Despite increasing foreign investment in U.S. agriculture, the U.S. Department of Agriculture lacks a permanent seat at the table with the Committee on Foreign Investment. So right now, Thomas Vilsack was confirmed as the 32nd United States Secretary of Agriculture by the U.S. Senate. He was nominated by President Joe Biden to return to a role where he served for eight years under President Obama. The Committee on Foreign Investment in the United States is an interagency committee that reviews potential national security threats of foreign investment in the U.S. This committee consists of nine members, chaired by the Secretary of Treasury and includes the Secretaries of State, Defense, Homeland Security, Commerce, Energy, and the United States Trade Representative, the Attorney General, and the Director of the Office of Science and Technology Policy. So it's important that we can get the Secretary of Agriculture on this committee because otherwise he has no ability to review any of this, this stuff that goes through committee. 
Then we have the Corporate Transparency Act, which became effective, Jan which becomes effective January 1, 2024. The Corporate Transparency Act was enacted in 2021 and was passed to enhance transparency in entity structures and ownership to combat money laundering, tax fraud, and other illicit activities. So, beginning in January 1, the U.S. Corporate Transparency Act will require corporations, limited liability companies, limited partnerships, and other similar entities to disclose the beneficial ownership information regarding these owners, officers, and controlling persons to the Financial Crimes Enforcement Network, a bureau within the U.S. Department of Treasury. So now we will find out who owns what. Of course, I don't know what they're going to do with it. I mean, they've got exemptions for certain corporations. And if a child has a beneficial interest in these entities, they are exempt. So what do you do? You have your child be the beneficial owner of these entities. <laughs> Might as well sign your kids up. They own something in the U.S. Case in point. <laughs> so we have Senate Bill 2824, which is Secure the Border Act. This is sponsored by Ted Cruz in the first stage of the legislative process. The bill which passed the House of Representatives as HR2 is the most comprehensive border security legislation in decades. The Senate bill was introduced into Congress on September 14th, so it just happened. All 30 co-sponsors are Republican, however this bill has a 4% chance of getting past committees and has a 1% chance of being enacted. There is a companion bill, H.R. 2, Secure the Border Act of 2023, that passed the House in May 11, 2023. I could not find anything past that. I couldn't find, whether it was heard in Senate, I couldn't find anything on it. It could have happened, I just couldn't find it. The National Education Association pushed against it because they believe this bill would restore Trump-era medieval solutions to modern-day problems. I don't know why the National Education Association gets a voice in this kind of stuff. I don't get it. So, I, I copied this bill. Well, actually, I printed the, the, the table of contents. This bill has very interesting things. If you ever get a chance, go out there and look at this bill. They have uh, a section on border wall construction, strengthening the requirements for barriers along the southern border, border and port security technology investment plan. It's a very comprehensive bill. It's extremely interesting reading. I won't read it all to you because it's 211 pages. <laughs> so the U.S. Customs and Border Protection Technology Upgrades, and this is just, I'm taking this from the table of contents. Not all of it, just some of it. Air and Marine Operations Flight Hours, Eradication of Cariso Cane and Salt Cedar. I wanted to read that session, but I just had to get my report done. <laughs> then the U.S. Customs and Border Protection Spiritual Readiness. Uh, a collection of DNA and biometric information at the border. That's got to be a good thing. Uh, alien Criminal Background Checks. GAO study on costs incurred by states to secure the southwest border. I want to read that now. Uh, clarification of asylum eligibility. Rules for determining asylum eligibility. 
notice concerning frivolous asylum applications, which I think most of them are, and inspection of applicants for ad admission. You have to know if they're putting this in the bill, it may not be happening right now. Uh, mandatory briefings on United States efforts to address the border crisis. Repatriation of unaccompanied alien children. Special immigrant juvenile status for immigrants unable to re reunite with either parent. Then we have the visa overstays. Expanded penalties for illegal entry or presence. Preemption and states' rights. Fraud and misuse of documents. Use of employment eligibility verification photo tool and agricultural workforce study. That's just a few of them. I mean, the, the table of contents went three pages. And this is the Senate bill or the House This is a Senate bill. The one that Ted Cruz is trying to get done. Yes, this actually is HR2, which is the companionship bill. Ted Cruz did the Senate bill. Oh, That's okay. the one that has the very this low chance of passing. This has a 28% chance of passing. Anyway, that's all I have for tonight. I don't want to step on our speaker's time. I do want to say one more thing. Okay, today, Jim Jordan is now going to try for a third ballot. So three Texas Republicans firmly against him as a House Speaker. Kay Granger of Fort Worth, Tony Gonzalez of San Antonio, and Jake Essie of Waxahachie all voted against Jordan's bid again during the second vote. These may be people you want to contact. Just just contact them and tell them to vote for Jim Jordan. Let's get this done because we're living in suspended animation without a House Speaker. Did they say why? They didn't say why. They voted for Scalise. Right. So even though Scalise voted for Jordan. You know, maybe it's not the worst thing in the world not to have a House Speaker because then nothing happens. And I think we're safer with nothing happening than some of the stuff that they do. It's probably not a bad thing. Thank you, Kimberly. Okay. Um, just a... Just a couple of things before I get read up here to introduce our speaker tonight. Um, one thing we voted on in our last board meeting last week was in 2024, we are going to change from evening meetings to lunchtime meetings because the feedback that we got to my rather scathing email after last month's dismal turnout said a lot of people said well you know I don't feel comfortable driving at night anymore blah 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 so we thought well okay let's try lunchtime meetings so uh, what we're working on is having a lunchtime meeting at Frischoff Country Club on Wednesdays uh, we haven't tied down the exact time. It'll probably be from like 11 to 1, something like that. So, does that sound like something that... Tell them why you changed it to Wednesday. 
Oh, well, we changed it to Wednesday because the Lions Club has their lunch meeting there every week. So they've, they've been doing that forever. So we couldn't get Thursdays. And really, with Frischoff's schedule, they're not open on Mondays and Tuesdays, and Friday's not a good day, and blah, 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 blah. So it really narrowed it down to Wednesday. So. Oh, and the other thing we voted on was to not conduct meetings in the summertime, June, July, and August. Every year since I've been in this organization, we took July off, except then there was the 4th of July parade that I had organized, so, you know, I didn't really get July off. But um, we didn't have a, a official Republican women's meeting in July, but this coming year we're going to take off June, July, and August. That way we'll be nice and refreshed and eager to jump in the fray for the presidential elections. We'll still do the parade, right? Oh yeah, we'll still do the parade. You know, I'll beat people up until they show up for the parade. Same with the Labor Day weekend, you know, fair, blah, blah, blah. Okay, so, oh. The other thing I wanted to remind y'all of was this coming Saturday, 9.30 in the morning at Frischoff Country Club, Bay County Republican Party is hosting our fourth quarter meeting and the entire meeting is going to focus on discussion of the 14 proposed amendments that'll be on the November 7th ballot. And uh, David Stahl is going to be our moderator, and we have Andrew McVeigh from uh, shoot. <laughs> well, that doesn't dare. Yes. <laughs> Say that again. Texas for fiscal responsibility. Thank you, Texas for fiscal responsibility. Duh. I've only written it like a thousand times. But anyway, it should be very informative. And the hope is if voters have a better understanding of what these amendments are about and what the possible outcome of the amendments will be, then they'll feel comfortable actually going to vote on these amendments instead of letting 20% of the voters come in and make decisions for all the rest of us. So, I'm encouraging you to attend that meeting, get comfortable with understanding the amendments, and then get out and vote. Early voting is going to be two weeks prior to the November 7th meeting, I mean election, so there's no excuse. Get out there and vote. All right, having said all that, I'm going to call up Rita Durnell to introduce our speaker. Wait, what? Wait. Question. May I ask for the uh, minutes from our last meeting to be approved? Oh, yeah. oh whoops. Okay. Minutes from the September, whatever, 17th, 17th meeting were sent out. If there are no corrections, they're approved as written. Yeah, so thank you. So, any corrections to those minutes? Hearing none, they're approved. Thank you. Thank you. I thought I did a good job. 
Anybody know the score of the Astros game? Okay. Anyway. We'll, we'll, <laughs> yeah? Okay, we'll move on. I thank you all for coming out because there is a very important ball game going on right now. So this had to take precedent because we have a wonderful speaker this evening. Very, very pleased to announce uh, that uh, Professor Seifert, Ron Seifert, uh, graduated from St. Bonaventure University in 1970. He served four years as an Army officer and graduated from the University of Texas School of Law in 77. Didn't know that. Okay. He joined the U.S. Department of Justice in 1983. After trying several major violent crime, corruption, and fraud cases, he was named a DOJ Senior Litigation Counsel, Chief of the Criminal Division of the Eastern District of Texas, Chief of the Austin Division of the Western District of Texas, and DOJ Assistant Director in charge of the evaluation of all the nation's U.S. Attorney's offices. In 1990, he was assigned to the DOJ's National Security Working Group and as an International and National Security Coordinator for the Department as well as Legal Advisor to the Central Texas Counterterrorism Working Group. As in sync, he worked closely with the FBI, CIA, and the intelligence community on both international and national security related cases, trained federal prosecutors, and has traveled to Kosovo, Qatar, Israel, and England to teach foreign judges and prosecutors and investigate international and national security matters. He began teaching at the FBI Academy in the U.S. Department of Justice Advocacy Institute in 1985. In 2000, he took a leave of absence to teach national security law and federal criminal law at the University of Texas School of Law and has taught as an adjunct professor at UT Law for 20 years. He began teaching at the Bush School in 2007. At the Bush School, Professor Seifert has taught national and homeland security law, international law, and continued to work with the CIA in Stratford and on other various projects. He has also served on the faculty curriculum, work life, and se several search committees, and director of the Certificate in Advanced International Affairs. He has received several awards for his work, including the Department of Justice, Director's Award for Superior Performance on two occasions and awards from several government agencies. He has published two books, Cases and Materials on U.S. Law and National Security, and Defense, Liberty, and the Constitution, as well as 11 law review articles on legal issues related to national security. So if you would please help me welcome Dr. Ron Seifert. came in, I saw the man, I thought I might have had the wrong place, but uh, it's great to see the men here as well. Uh, you have a tremendously vibrant and knowledgeable group. I was extremely impressed. And this lady who gave the legislative talk, my goodness. Uh, wow. uh, I'm a UT Law graduate. Uh, 
to my daughters are UT graduates, but I also teach in addition and have also taught in addition to UT law, I've taught at Texas A&M and College Station, which means that most places I speak in Texas, I'm, I'm the enemy for at least half the group. <laughs> so I went ahead and I checked here on the map before I came and I saw that LaGrange is like right in the middle. So between Austin and AM, so I thought, well, maybe I've got neutral territory here. I really do hope so. Uh, as my bio notes, uh, I was a trial attorney and supervisor for DOJ for many years, uh, back when we were the good guys. Uh, and we were the good guys when I was there. I was hired under Ronald Reagan. I went to Washington under George H.W. Bush. Uh, my work involved, of course, major criminal cases, and then it got really heavy on national security. Did a lot of work on uh, electronic surveillance, uh, wiretaps, uh, uh, as well as trying conspiracy cases. The, uh, we do not do as much electronic surveillance in the United States as the media would have you believe. We have a lot of requir requirements, rules and regulations when we come up on electronic surveillance in the U.S. We do do a lot overseas, especially with NSA. Uh, but I will say that the ethic of the Department of Justice under Merritt Garland and also the problems with James Comey are uh, changed <laughs> and not, <laughs> not quite as, I'd say, as ethical as it was in the years I worked in the Reagan and Bush and, and, and George H.W. Bush and, and George W. Bush administrations. I'm not happy with Garland. Most of my colleagues are, are not happy with the current DOJ as well. The, uh, I'm here to talk about the Republican Party in the national elections, coming up in the national elections. That's my focus. Now, I was told before I came here that you all might have some questions about Israel and what's going on in Congress and the rest. And I'd be happy to address those, especially Israel, because I did spend two weeks in Israel as a guest of the intelligence community for Israel. I went to some of the communities that were hit by the recent attacks back in 2007 and 2008 I went to those places. I have somewhat of a feel for what they're under, the gun that they're under, uh, and I have a little bit of understanding of that. Uh, I don't know if I can address for you about Congress, but it seems to me like they're all crazy up there. Uh, uh, I've already told our, our congressional I wanted him to run against Gates in Florida. Uh, he told me he won't move to Florida, though, so I don't know if I can and get that. The, uh, before I finish, before I finish the talk, I'm going to mention uh, uh, again. I'll get into the presidential upcoming presidential election. Uh, you know, with Biden, Haley, Trump, and the rest, and I'll talk about that. But I can just tell you from the start, I am not happy, and I am concerned that as bad as Biden is, and he's horrible, as bad as he is. Our leading candidate in the polls right now is tied with him. We're just a tiny bit ahead. And as bad as Biden is, our leading candidate should be 10 points ahead of Biden. So I'm concerned about that. And I'll talk about that as we go through. And as, as we go through, uh, you may agree with what I say on some of these current issues, and you may disagree, and that's fine. I'm not here to pander to any one particular uh, point of view. I'm not running for anything. I'll just tell you what I think is best for the Republican Party. If you disagree, that's, that's fine. But I just want to tell you what I think will help us win. And if we don't win, we can't get anything done. So that's got to be the primary goal. 
And sometimes that means we have to be more flexible on some of these issues than we have been. And I, I will get into that as well. Now, I know that you, like me, are not happy with the results of the mid-years. We should, the midterms, we should have been done much better, considering all the circumstances. How horrible Biden is, the economy, the border. We should have done much better, but we didn't. And we did not do as well as we should because the media and the Democrats did a great job of portraying us and putting out the narrative that we're all some kind of gun-toting Neanderthals who don't care about women's rights, have no compassion for the poor, and, and basically don't care about the victims of mass gun violence. That was the narrative they put out, and we did not do a good job of rebutting it. We did a horrible job. I think we had to be much clearer and much stronger on some of the issues. The first one I'm going to talk is self-evident, but I want to put a, just a little different twist on it. The first issue, of course, is the border. We all know that. But I have not heard anyone. I have not heard even a, a, an interviewer from Fox News. I haven't heard a Republican uh, congressman. Look at Joe Biden and say, tell me the reason you let 7 million illegals in. What is the reason? I want to hear. Well, of course you'll lie, but put him on the spot. What is the reason? No one asked. No one asked that. You know. Yes, we have compassion for the poor. We have compassion for people coming up from other countries. But where's the incentive for them to correct their own country? They can run here all the time, and and we give them, you know, welfare and the rest. And the thing is, and I want to tell you, I mean, Hispanics are some of the hardest working people I have ever seen, and there's no question in my mind that a lot of them would like to work. But when all of a sudden did we not have enough workers in the United States? I saw a report that came out in 2018, a federal government report, and it said of the 15 to 20 million people who we pay welfare to in the United States, 60% are capable of work. But we're paying them, we're paying them, 60% we're paying them, and, and what are we doing? We're bringing illegals in to do the work who we haven't had a chance to check, right? A lot of them. We haven't had a chance to do a good background check at all. God knows how many are coming in we don't even see. And the thing is, why, why do we get to this point that we have to import workers? We don't. We're not there. But yet they're letting in 7 million and no one ever says, what's the reason you're letting them in? And another thing no one ever asked, and, and let's, let's face it, what's going to happen, he's let in 7 million people. It's already been mentioned, 80 or 90 percent will not qualify for asylum, not under any normal law. So, now you've got 7 million illegal aliens, who's going to round them up? Nobody. Yeah, nobody. Who's going to round them up? We don't have enough federal officers to round them up. We can't have state officers do it because the Supreme Court in the Arizona case, Arizona v. Uh, Holder, Holder v. Arizona, said state officers can't do anything on immigration. Okay, which we're going to have to be fighting now with, with, uh, currently. But we, we have no one that's going to be able to wound, round them up. 
So what's going to happen? We're going to have 20 million illegal aliens here, and we all know the result. They're going to say, well, we have to have immigration reform, which means asylum. That's what they're going to ask for. And when they ask for asylum, what does that mean? The right to vote, right? So now we just imported 20 million Democratic voters, okay? So how come we're not standing up against it stronger than we are? I don't think we have been as strong as we are. As I said, we all know the border is an issue, but I think we can be a lot stronger and clearer in how we address it. Now, another issue I want to talk about, separate matter. Why are we letting them, the media and the Democrats, get everybody stirred up into a panic about global warming and climate change? And it's like, oh, we're going to have to change our economy, get rid of our fossil fuels, go to electric cars, half of them made in China, right? And we're going to have to do that because of global warming and climate change, making it a panic. That is a tremendous stretch. Now, I'm not saying the climate might not be warming. It may be. But it's not an existential threat to mankind like they say. They literally say it's an existential threat to mankind. As if the temperature went up two or three degrees, we'd all die. Baloney. It's total BS. So they act like, I love it. Don't you love this? Every time we have a, every time we have a, a hot summer, they say it's global warming. But every time we have a big winter storm, they say, oh, guess what? That's global warming, too. <laughs> right? Isn't that crazy? And then, and what about, and what about when we get a hurricane? Anytime we get a hurricane, oh, my God, that's climate change. You know, Biden ran down to Florida. Oh, this is climate change. As if we haven't had hurricanes for 500 years. How many Spanish silver and gold ships got sunk off Florida because of hurricanes in the 1500s? before anyone ever had fossil fuel. <laughs> and uh, do, do they know about Galveston that got totally wiped out in what, 1906, 1901? Yeah. yeah, come on, every time we got a hurricane, it's not climate change. And the, the reason it's bunk to say it's an existential threat, and this is, I understand this because I grew up up north. My state, Michigan, New York was my state, Michigan, Ohio, Pennsylvania, we were all, just 20,000 years ago, we are all covered by ice. We were just 20,000 years ago. Now mankind has been on Earth 500,000 to a million years. We had sophisticated civilizations 20,000 years ago. The temperature 20,000 years ago warmed up so much that all those global sheets of ice retreated all the way back to Canada. And mankind did just fine. Mankind did not cease to exist. So when they tell you we have to sit there and get rid of all our fossil fuels and buy our cars from China or whatever, and you have to go to electric cars and God knows where what's going to produce electric electricity, <laughs> if not for a coal-fired plant, you know, how are you going to fix the grid? <laughs> but when they tell you that, they're creating a panic that makes no sense. We have to be much clearer on that. Okay, other issues I think we have. As a party, I think we have done good reaching out to Hispanics. And the reason is because Hispanics, just like us, have the same concerns. They're concerned about the economy. They're concerned about jobs. They're concerned about crime. They're concerned about our foreign policy. Same issues we're concerned. 
but we have to do a much better job reaching out to African Americans because they have exactly the same concerns. They're concerned about the economy, they're concerned about crime, they're concerned about jobs. They have the same concerns as all of us. And we haven't done a good job reaching out to them. There's some great African Americans who are Republicans. Burgess Owens, John James from Michigan, Michael Steele, Tim Scott. And here's the thing. When you get black candidates in your party, then you can address and they can address some of the completely false narratives that are out there that the, the Democrats use to hit us over the head and to get black voters. And this is what I'm talking about. One of the false narratives that they put out there all the time is that our cops are out there constantly killing innocent black people and that this is the big race problem in America, right? It's baloney. The statistics, I'm going to tell you, statistics show that blacks are 18.5 times more likely to be killed by other blacks than by police officers. Mm -hmm. The uh, statistics showed that 93% of black homicides were committed by other blacks, blacks, not by police. But you know something? A white guy can't get up and say that because you're racist, even though you just told the truth. But if our black candidates, they're willing to say it. Scott's willing to say this. John James is willing to say this. We need to welcome the blacks into the, into the party and be more open arms with them. And we have to address these false narratives. And I'll tell you the other false narrative. The other false narrative is that we're discriminating against blacks today. Well, you know, I grew up in the 1960s. These people who say we're discriminating against blacks today, they're living in a time war. We had discrimination in the 1960s. I know that. But we adopted, both as a Republican Party and among ourselves, Martin Luther King's statement that you judge people by the content of their character, not by the color of their skin. Every one of you have adopted that. Our party has adopted that. That's the way we act. And even though we act that way and think that way, we are still hit over the head every day by people saying, oh, we're discriminating against blacks. It's baloney. But you know, it's harder, again, for a white guy to say that. We have a lot of great black candidates who can say that and get the message uh, out. Now, these are issues we need to be clear on, but I have some other issues I think we need to be more flexible on. And I know some of you are going to disagree with me, and that's okay. But I think it's a sensitive issue. But I, yes, well, you, I, I told you you were good. Now, the, this is the issue that nailed us in the midterms because the Democratic Party was out there saying, if you elect a Republican congressman, they're going to go to Congress and outlaw abortion in the whole United States in all circumstances. And you know what the response of the Republican Party was? Nothing. Do you know what the response of our candidates was? Nothing. They were scared to use the word. They were scared to take it on. Come on. Let's take it on and come to a position. Now, what is my, what's my position that I would recommend for the party? 
so we could win, my recommendation would be, you're right again to some extent, my recommendation is to make clear, our congressional candidates should make clear, we will not go to Congress and outlaw abortion from the whole country under regardless of circumstances. Our position should be it's up to the states, and if a state wants to say, you know, no abortion after three months or whatever, that's up to the states. But that has nothing to do with our national election. Okay? We have to be clear. Another one I think we have to be stronger on is gun control. We get beat over the head with gun control. Look, these mass shootings are horrible. They're ridiculous. They need to be stopped. We as a Republican Party should not be portrayed as the people who are against any gun control. Now, I know you may disagree with me on that, but I'm sorry. If we're portrayed that way, we will not win. There is some gun control that makes sense. And I know some of the guys here are going to beat me over the head with this, but I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you, I don't think you need a, a, a clip in your gun that has 20 rounds. If you can't kill a deer with five, you oughtn't to be hunting. You know? I... And I'm telling you, as a guy, I mean, if some crazy mass shooter comes in, I don't want him to be able to fire off 20, 30 rounds in a clip. I want him to have to change his clips after five or 10 rounds to either give me a chance to run or tackle him, but, but to do something, not just to stand there and have him unload. So I don't know why the Republican Party is against all gun control <laughs> automatically. It's, we automatically, oh no, we're against it. Let's use a little sense. Let's be a little more flexible. You know, we could do better on this. Okay, now I'm going to make a few comments about the 2024 election. I already indicated my concern. I love Donald Trump. I love his policies. I love his guts. I love his speeches at the rallies. I love it all. But I don't want him to be our candidate. Why? Well, because he's obviously got too much baggage, and it's not the lawsuits, 95% of which are junk. Probably 5% might stick. It's not that. It's he, he has a tendency to speak off the top of his head and say crazy things which will hurt him and hurt our party. You can't say things like John McCain is not a hero. You can't, you can't sit there, you can't sit there, and look what he did as soon as DeSantis started running. He started personal attacks on Ron DeSantis. What did he do with Nikki Haley now? He started making really nasty personal attacks against her. That will not help us win an election. I heard DeSantis, and by the way, DeSantis, is, I'll, I'll tell you who I'm there in a minute, but that's not the point. DeSantis said something two weeks ago. He said, Donald Trump is the person the Democrats want to run because he is the person they will come out to vote against. No one, he, he said, the Democrats do not love Joe Biden. You don't see anybody with a Joe Biden hat. Really, do you? <laughs> you don't see anybody with a Joe Biden t-shirt. It says, let's go Brandon. Yeah, 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 let's go Brandon. <laughs> you don't see that. But, but, the Democrats still hate Trump. 
And in, a lot of independents hate Trump because of the things I just said. And what happens is, by putting him as our candidate, he will energize them to come out and vote not for Biden, but against Trump. And I think we need to eliminate that concern. I'm, I'm sorry, again, you may not agree with me, and that's fine. That's totally fine. That's my concern. Because the most important thing to me is that the Republican Party wins. That's the most important thing. And I want the candidate who has the best chance of winning. At this point, I can say I'm leaning towards Haley, but it doesn't make a difference. I, I, I watch the debates. I make decisions. You know, she shook her head. That's great. You know, but I don't, haven't decided 100%. But I just want the person who's going to win. And you know how I started this off by saying I love Trump because I do love Trump. I love his speeches. I love his rallies. I love his policies. I just don't think he's going to win the way he talks off top of his head. I, I guess a finer point I should make. Uh, I worked under Attorney General Bill Barr at the Department of Justice. I have tremendous respect for him. Uh, and he wrote a, his autobiography and came out last year. And he, in his autobiography, talked about what it was like being Attorney General under Donald Trump. And he got into it in detail. And he starts off saying, basically, I love Donald Trump. This guy's got guts like I've ever seen. But as a manager, and the way he ran the White House was totally crazy. And step back and think about how many people we lost on his staff almost every six months or a year, one would be gone. That's not good. Now, for the Democrats, I tell you the truth, I didn't, I didn't think they would have Kamala as their VP. I thought they couldn't be that dumb. <laughs> but, but apparently, they are. apparently they are, you know. So God knows that is a concern. Like Haley said, a vote for Biden is probably a vote for Kamala. God, that's scary, you know. So look, we've, we've got to come together behind a candidate who is going to win. So please, watch the polls closely. Watch the national polls. I think the national polls are showing right now that Haley actually does better against Biden than anybody. But again, make up your own mind, watch it, and see. But also remember that I started this whole thing off by telling you that I love Donald Trump. I do. All right. One other issue I want to mention, you probably be alert to this. We need to be ready in the election to probably take a position on Taiwan. Because during the debates, I fully expect one of the questions to our Republican candidates in Congress and President will be, what will you do if China goes after Taiwan? And this is not an easy issue because the United States in 1978 recognized Taiwan as part of China. So when you recognize a country as part of China, how do you commit the United States Army, sailors, and airmen, and Marines to battle to defend it against China? But at the same time, if you say you're not going to do anything, that makes us look pretty weak, too. I don't know the answer. I'm working on an article with it. I'm with a China expert at A&M. 
uh, that I'll probably put out. Uh, obviously, the answer has to be, I guess, some type of negotiation. But the fact is, the American public, I don't think, realize at this date that we have recognized that Taiwan belongs to China. They don't know. And therefore, if China ever takes an aggressive move against Taiwan, the world and the UN will not come to Taiwan's defense because the world and the UN know that we have recognized Taiwan as part of China. So when did that happen? 1978. 1978. Actually, twice. First time was uh, under Carter on 78, and then Reagan put out uh, a sort of a general agreement with it around 84. Yeah. Part of trying to make China an ally against Russia, maybe, you know? But it's, been, it's our policy. It's on the books, and I don't think people realize it. And I know this can be a big issue because I'm old enough, and I don't think there's anyone in this room who's old enough to remember this, but when I was like, a young kid, I watched John Kennedy and Richard Nixon debate, and they asked them in the debate, what are you going to do if China shells Kuimoi and Matsu, two islands off of Taiwan? And that became a big deal. Well, can you imagine how big a deal it is if it comes up now? So we need to be ready on that as well. Can we change our position? Well, we can. We certainly haven't for 40, 50 years. Yeah, I mean, we can't. So just be ready for the issue. Think about it. Think about this issue. I, I'm, I'm not even recommending the answer. I'm just telling you it's a sensitive issue that may be coming up. Okay, so again, I was asked beforehand. I, I got an email saying, what do I think about Israel and the, and the rest? I, I, we're not seeing Biden's speech right now, but I'm, I expect when I get home that he will say, and of course, I generally don't care what he says because I know it's written down, but the thing <laughs> is, I expect that he will say, and I think he should say, though it would be tough, is that if anybody harms those hostages, we will hold them accountable by capture or killing them. And I imagine he will say that, and that will make everybody think Biden's wonderful because he says it. God has got to say it, though, doesn't he? He has to say it, but he's not going to do anything. Well, now there's the point. I was thinking driving down here. I was thinking he's got to say this, but it doesn't make any difference what he says because what he says and what he does is different. But he will say it for politics. He'll read it. He's not well, he'll read it, but he'll read, he'll read it for politics. He'll read it for politics. But and as I've talked to some of the people as we're eating, I've watched this for 30 or 40 years. Every time the terrorists attack Israel and, and Israel responds, all the world criticism is against Israel. And it's because their pro the terrorist propaganda arm comes in, it kicks in, the media buys it, they're almost like the Democrats, they, you know, they buy all this junk and they put it out just like they did with the hospital and the rest. And no matter what, I mean, this isn't the first time this has happened. And those of you who are my age know this happens all the time. The, the, Islamists always come out with propaganda showing that Israel's the bad guy, <coughs> even though they started. Right? Those people, excuse me, those people in Israel are really up against it. Really up against it. I was very impressed by it. Do you have any ideas what, about the breakdown of security of the Well, you know, and, and, and those of us who have been in the military know that it's, it's hard to have 100% perfect security. How do you stop everybody from coming across your beaches? You have, your beaches are so long, 
you can't have a guard every 50 yards. They, some of them came in with, with uh, what, air pipes or whatever. Some of them, you can't, you can put fences all over, but it's not hard to blow apart a fence and, and or take your bulldozer and run through it. It's not hard. It's almost impossible to, to make your country completely impervious to attack. <coughs> now, the intelligence aspect I am concerned about, I'm surprised that Israel didn't got to get a tip off intelligence because their intelligence is very good. Now, I'm also surprised that our, we didn't have a tip off from our intelligence. Not as good as Israel in the Middle East, but not bad. And so I, I am surprised about that. But it's actually to defend a large area, especially what does Israel have only what seven, eight million people? Yes. To, you know, it's hard to defend all that all the time. And let me tell you, they walk around in Israel, all the reservists and everything, they walk around with their M16s on their shoulder, okay, when they're off duty. Because they know that any minute they might face a problem. But that doesn't mean they can guard every beach and every every spot. Okay. Again, as far as Congress, I don't know what to tell you. I, I heard uh, Chris Sununu on the radio this morning. Uh, Chris Sununu generally makes a lot of sense if you ever hear him. He's the governor of New Hampshire. Uh, I heard him referred to as the uh, eight idiots talking about the Republicans in Congress. Uh, I tend, the guy's got a lot of credibility with me. I think he, he tends to be right. I have no idea why they would. It, yeah, look, I understand if you got mad at McCarthy because he kissed up to the Democrats too much. I totally understand that if that's what you felt. But if you're going to get rid of McCarthy, then have a replacement ready. Yeah. And that's what I don't understand. But anyway, that's it. Questions? Questions. Thank you. I don't know why I want to take questions. Yeah. Okay, I didn't know the information about Taiwan. You know, because I went to Taiwan in 1984. It did not require a visa. Going to China required a visa. Yeah. So this is surprising to me because you would think that yeah. Taiwan would require the same visa that China requires to yeah. enter. Yeah. Anyway, so my other question is, now, if you were delivering what you delivered here tonight yeah. to a university audience, how would you modify it? <laughs> I wouldn't. You wouldn't? Not a word. Okay, so how are students in the universities? The universities, I think, are part of the problem, like the media with the narrative that they deliver against conservatives. Yeah. And that's why I'm saying, how would you have modified it for students? Because students are pro-Palestine, generally, I'm not saying all of them. They're pro-Palestine, they're, they're every liberal narrative, they hang on this stuff. No. And I've got um, kids, professors. they're liberal, Yeah. we're trying to to, we're trying to get them out of that cult, but this is not easy. Nope. They'll probably take an intervention. So how how do you appeal to students in the university when the media is against a conservative movement? We're caught up in this. You know, you, yeah. you made yeah. very good points about why conservatives have a problem in this coming election, but the media is a big problem oh, yeah. with the conservatives. Sure. And the universities are another big problem with, the, with conservatives yeah. because they don't tend to go conservative. I don't, I don't think that there's a lot of a answers to that. Part of it is I don't think the kids in college today are as act aware of the facts as accurately as we were 10, 20, 30, 40 years ago. Uh, in fact, if you've ever watched Jesse Waters or whatever, and he, uh, he goes around asking 
college students, you know, yeah. who, who is Abraham yeah. Lincoln, you know, yeah. or, you know they, they don't know anything. I don't understand how they graduate from high, high school. The first thing I'm always say, I always want Jesse Waters to ask him the next question, who was your high school history teacher and did they pass you? Because they don't know anything. So part of it is I don't think, second, I have, God, I hate to say one of my third daughter who's a doctor and wonderful person and very intelligent, graduated top, top, top of the class at UT. She would get her current events news from people like Bill Maher and, <laughs> and, and, oh, dear. and these other comedians. That's where she'd get her news from. Oh. Yeah. I mean, so there, you know, that's part of the problem. And part of the problem, and before I take your question, part of the problem is, as you said, the university professors across the country tend to be, they vote 90% Democrat. And I'll tell you that where this came from. I keep looking to see anybody in the room who might be as old as me that might remember this. The Vietnam War was so bad and so upsetting that a lot of the people who became professors between like 1975 and 1985 as almost a revulsion against the Vietnam War, a revulsion against the government, those are the people who became professors. They were almost all liberal, and they're the ones who have been. Yes, yeah, and they and those liberal professors are the ones that taught the current group of professors, and that's why they vote 90 percent Democrat. Them in the media, right? Now you ask how I speak to my classes at UT exactly like I just did. I hit them over the head with facts and statistics. It goes okay. It goes okay. But you know, I teach at UT Law School. We're 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 designed to debate and have healthy debate. And you know, I don't think I ever got an evaluation back that criticized my politics, even though I take a conservative. That's encouraging because no. I went to UT. Yes. They had the uh, National Guard on campus because Lorraine Rogers was the president, and I arrived in her first year. Yeah. As a matter of fact, and that was upsetting. Yeah. That she was a woman, and she was now president of the university. Well, how long was she president? Of four or five years. Uh, the whole time I was there. Yeah. Seventy-five, seventy-eight. Yeah. You had a question, yes, ma'am. Where do you go for the truth? The Bible. Yes, I, I no, I, I do work with them a lot, but I think that uh, uh, the most accurate news channel that I've seen are is probably Fox of the major channels. But you have, when you watch Fox, you have to understand that they are 90% conservative and they're pushing the conservative line all the time. So what I also do is search for the articles on the New York Times and Washington Post knowing that they're 90% liberal. So I go to both because if you watch Fox all the time, you're getting, you're getting propagandized. Even though I tend to agree with them, you're still getting propagandized. So I have to go. I have to go to the other sources to see. 
and uh, there is uh, some of the public stations are not bad. Dan Abrams, I'm going to give Dan Abrams a, a, a check because he's had me on a show two or three times. So he's been fairly good. Yeah. Yeah. No, no. Tell me about it. Real American Voice. Real America's Voice. Okay. So this is on TV or radio? TV. Streaming. It's an app. Okay, so is this objective? The objective and conservative people would not say it's exactly the same. But they're on the border. I mean, they have a guy on the border. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Fox does that too. Fox does that too. Yes, sir. You had a question. Yeah. So you think we ate our? You think we were doing that? You think we were doing that even before this latest problem in Congress? Yeah. That. To me, I think it was that segment of our population Well, to be honest, it's the first time I've heard that perspective, and I'm sure that because you have kids that age, you know what you're talking about. So it's a concern, you know. People have abandoned the system. They just left. Yeah. Oh, right. Well, if they abandoned the Democrats, that's fine with me. Uh, well, yeah. Good point. Can you expand on why you support Nikki Haley? Is it just because of the poll, or is there other reasons? Is there what about Nikki Haley now? Uh, why, why do you support Why do I support yeah. Nikki Haley? Is it just because of the poll, or are there other reasons? No, no. The first, uh, I, I first started going for Haley when I watched the first two debates, and I, I, I liked her toughness. In her intelligence and her clarity, uh, and uh, then uh, I saw a poll where they had like Trump like was like sort of tied with Biden. And as I started off the speech saying, it's pretty bad when our front runner is tied with yeah. probably the worst president yeah. in history. That's that's a disturbing fact. Yeah. But I saw that in the same poll, she was ahead by five. And I think that the people who hate Trump and would come out against Trump would not necessarily hate Haley and come out against Haley, you know, but it's said at the same time, we all know the media will make her, you know, they'll go after her. Whoever our leading candidate is, the media will go after. Yeah, they will go, you're right, because not only are 90% of the professors voting Democrat, but 90% of the media is voting Democrat. It doesn't matter who it is, they will Yes. Back in those days, they questioned everything. They questioned authority. 
Yeah, but they became they became they became very distrusting of a nationalistic government because a nationalistic government under LBJ brought us into Vietnam, and and I know he's Democrat, but he still had the national and, and Nixon was the same. He was nationalistic, so they became very distrusting of I and I love America government because that's why. LBJ and Nixon were like that, and what did they do? They put us in Vietnam, and 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 they did a horrible job with it. Uh, speaking of horrible job, Biden in Afghanistan. Oh my God. Well, I don't think I don't think that they, in my opinion, they don't love um, the Democrats. Don't love America the way we do. That's what I think, and it. Well, that's true too. You know, that's true too. There is an anti-capitalism aspect of it. And that's and that that applies to Israel. That's also true. They are a thriving democracy. Yeah. Productive democracy. Yeah. Boy, that's so true. But I think that and they're also trying to think socialistic. I mean, over time they brought in all this stuff. Now it's the ESG, the, you know, oh, yes, all this stuff. No question. When, we, uh, our corporations have been bought into that, too. It's no question. It's, like, when, it's when, been going on for a long time. Do you now think that's been a direct result of the uh, civil rights movement and the legislation that was passed? Do you think it's sprung She's, off of that? I, I, the, I don't think the civil rights movement was the problem, but I do agree with you, for, uh, those of you who talk about the anti-capitalist, pro-socialist yes. move, because I remember... When one of my daughters went down on a, a month or two to San Salvador, Nicaragua, she came back telling us how the capitalists were exploiting the workers down there. And I go, I go, God, I send you to Nicaragua for a month and you come back a communist, you know? Right? Uh, you know? To live there a longer time. A longer yeah. time. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. yes. Yeah. Well, it was a UT program, I guess I would say that. <laughs> really good. For yes, sir. Thank you. 
One more thing, though. I made the comment about abortion, and I know it's tough, and some of you may disagree with me, but some of you, I guess, how many agree that we should be more flexible in our position, and how many disagree? We have a heartbeat bill, so I think that is flexibility. They've got time. What is, how, what is heartbeat? Three months? Different states determine that differently. Yeah. Right? So, I mean, what does, does what happen is, is that we have six states that will allow abortion through the Right. We now still that allow abortion well, that's, that's up ridiculous. to the heartbeat. Which would be about 12 weeks. And why would they said, get that message out? I don't know. They said it's up to the states. Right. But I, but, but the, the key point, obviously, in abortion that Republicans have to make is that the Democrats want to allow it right up through nine months. And the Republicans have to hit that point yes. hard yes. that that is the deal. That we are not necessarily against abortion in all circumstances regardless. 
But the Democrats want to allow abortion up through nine months. How bad is that? Beyond. 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 Okay, well, thank you very much. I enjoyed it. You got a great picture. Thank you, Ron. That was excellent. All right. Well, um, does anybody else have any announcements? Cindy? Can I? I talk a bit about, I went to a program. Sit right, stand up. Yeah. You have to use the mic. I know. You can sit, you can sit down. Sit. Sorry. Sit. Sit. We thought we were getting a quick on. Sorry, I'm due for a knee replacement. But it's not going to come until December. So, anyway. Um, uh, yeah, it's my Christmas present. Um, I went to a program in Hallettsville on Saturday, and I learned about what Kimberly talked about that's happening in in Winchester about uh, illegal aliens being housed all around. And there is a nursing home in El Campo. Thank you. Uh, that is empty and they're putting illegal aliens there. There is a place in Austin County. There is a place in Colorado County. As Kimberly says, we now have them in Fayette County. We need to be, I know that um, Dan Patrick went to this uh, Colony Ridge and he suggested that the commissioners make sure that their budgets can account for these people. Yeah. Bullshit! Well, we've already done our budget here in Fayette County and there's no way. I mean, Cleveland School District, which is in Liberty County, started with 3,000 kids. They now have 10,000. Oh my God. Yeah, there's I mean, no that's way. That's more than double. My concern is we have empty facilities around here. For example, St. Mark's. There's an empty hospital in Colorado County, or Weimar. You know, there are empty facilities, there are empty houses, there are empty. So be on the alert and um, make sure that. I talked to my county commissioner yesterday about it, and he, he didn't—he was unaware. And so um, he said, "Well, I'm going to have to talk to." He mentioned a couple of the other commissioners, and I said, "Well, good, because I want you to be aware of it. We don't need this here. We can't pay for what we've got, and so we can't afford it anymore." So anyway, I just wanted to make y'all aware of that. Thank you. Thank you, Cindy. Okay. Any other comments or announcements? Going once, going twice. All right, we're adjourned.